Well, we are here. The final bits of the Sermon on the Mount, which uh, I didn't really realize it at the time when we embarked on this. It was a desire to help us grow as disciples, as followers of Jesus. I didn't really realize what it was going to take. We started this journey and the Sermon on the Mount back, I think it was in March of this spring. And so here we are, the last few uh, bits of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus closing it all together. It was two weeks ago uh, when Jesus talked about the narrow gate and the narrow way, about finding him. And in, in a very important way, or very uh, stark way, separated the, those who followed him, Christians, from the rest of the world. Then last week, if you remember, uh, for those of you who were here, talked some about even within that small, narrow way, that few who find that way, there would even be teachers who were false teachers, false prophets who would come uh, and trying to draw people away. And Jesus is warning us about them. And we talked some last week about our role, our responsibility as a church to keep growing in God's word so that we know good teaching when we hear it and we know bad teaching when we hear it. So it's not just on others, it's also a responsibility of the whole church. This week we come to the last bit, the last division, uh, and here the, the narrow way that was divided by good and, and bad teachers now gets even divided even further with those who are faithful and those who are not. Talking here uh, about two types of Christians, uh, those that proclaim faith and those that actually live their faith. This has been a challenging passage for me. Uh, Thinking about my own life, are there places, honestly asking myself, are there places in my life where I say I believe and follow Jesus, and yet I don't follow his way, that I don't follow his commands? Not only that, but trying to walk this fine line between grace, that we are saved by grace, that amazing truth, but also, too, the truth that we have a, a walk to walk, a faithfulness to live. And oftentimes it gets uh, put together as grace and works. You know, are we trying to earn our way? How do we live faithfully without getting that twisted into the idea that we have to somehow earn our place with Jesus? Dallas Willard, who wrote a few books, but one of them is called Divine Conspiracy, said that grace is not opposed to effort. So once we've begun believing in Jesus, it's not opposed to following his way or to effort in terms of spiritual practices, whether that's prayer or fasting or serving others. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. The idea that we have to do these things to earn our spot or to somehow get the limited spots and squeeze other people out. The relationship we think about, some about this relationship between salvation, the moment we begin believing into Jesus, and sanctification, the ongoing process that goes through the rest of our lives where we continue to grow to become more like Jesus. So how do we take uh, the scriptures, how do we take Jesus' teaching and live it? How do we believe it, agree to it, and then live it? I was thinking about it some, it'd be like if you were to enter into a, a, a free admission fun run, and at the end you get the shirt. You can join, you can start for free, it doesn't cost anything to start, but if you want the shirt at the end, you actually have to do the run. There's no shortcut, there's no way to skip the run and get the shirt. And so that's this idea of grace and sanctification. There is this, this race that we start, but we also have to run the race. Now, some of you might be wondering, okay, Jason, I think I hear what you're saying, but how do we make sure that we don't get this confused or mixed uh, grace with earning our way? You know, it's a deep part of the Protestant Reformation, a Reformation that began almost, well, actually over 500 years ago. 
Um, and one of the things that came out of it, one of the key tenets was sola gratia or faith alone. And that we are saved, or sorry, grace alone. We are saved by grace. And here, Jesus, if we're not careful, we can misunderstand Jesus and maybe think that he's mudding the water a bit. He is saying a few things, and one of them is this, is that there's cheap, or sorry, grace is not cheap. It's not something that we say, oh, I'm saved by grace, and then therefore I get to go and live my life the rest of the, the, rest of the way that I want to. It actually means following him. Some of you might be here this morning and you are wondering, okay, so I'm still kind of new to following Jesus, new to becoming a Christian, and you know, I'm, I want to understand how do I do it? You know, how do I understand the relationship between grace and sanctification, between faith, believing into Jesus, and faithfulness, living the rest of our lives the way he teaches? Some of you might be challenged this morning. For you, Christianity, uh, despite all the things that you've tried, Christianity feels like a religious affiliation still. You know, like you might say something like, yeah, I, I believe, I believe Jesus died and rose again. I go to church each Sunday. But the whole idea of Jesus as a personal savior, I just, I don't get it yet. Or, you know, I, I've talked with some people. I have people that I know really well who, uh, when I talk to them, like they're not a part of any church and they're not really practicing in any way. They'll say, you know, I prayed the prayer. Oh, back in my 20s, I prayed that prayer. I'm good. And their understanding is almost that faith and salvation is a box you check, one event in your life, and you check that box and then you're done and you can go on living however you'd like. So how do we hold all these different ideas of faith and faithfulness together? The big question is, what is Jesus looking for in disciples? What does he want disciple, that idea or that person, to look like? What does faithfulness really look like? Well, thankfully, God has answers for us this morning in God's word, that this word continues to speak to us. Even 2,000 years after Jesus said it, it continues to guide us on how we should live. So let's dig into this passage. If you want to, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Verse 21, there's also in your bulletins as well, uh, no, I don't have that one, <laughs> whoops, uh, that's okay, I, I, if you guys want to open up your bulletins, we'll get, I have a text up here for us as well, let's take it apart piece by piece, alright, so Jesus begins with this, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he or she who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is pretty stark, and I would say pretty clear. It's pretty straightforward that uh, Jesus is saying here, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, I think in a way, not everybody who says it means it. But it's also a bit concerning because what does Jesus mean here? <laughs> like why, how could somebody be saying, Lord, Lord, and not fit or not, Jesus not welcome them? Let's keep digging. First he says here, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. And that day is the day, the last day, when we stand before Christ. Now he's saying they will say, Lord, Lord. And this is, I get this sense of pleading, like Lord, Lord. Now it could be somebody who knows Jesus, who knows some about faith, who maybe even practiced Christianity or, or learned about Christianity. I don't want to say practice yet. I think maybe learned about Christianity, and so they know enough to call him Lord. This could also be the last day when someone who's never had any inclination to follow Jesus at all is standing before him and realizes the consequences of their life choices and says, okay, now I'm, now I'm pretty scared. Lord, Lord, please help. I think it's interesting, though, is that I think that 
as I'm reading this, I can't help but wonder if the person who's saying, Lord, Lord, maybe assumed too much about their place with Jesus. But let's keep looking. These people say, or this person would say, did we not prophesy in your name? And here, prophesy basically means to hear a word from God and share it with the rest of the faith community. Maybe it's a word about the future, or maybe it's just a word about the truth, about what's going on in their life. And he says, did we not prophesy in your name? Now, as doing some research on this, in the ancient world, people used to think, you know, if I use or evoke the name of a god, then I sort of uh, take the power or I kind of claim the power of that god and apply it to a situation. So it kind of had this magical sense. Now, it could mean that, but it also might mean that these people were thinking, I'm actually doing this under the authority of or in association with Jesus. And so they're saying, in your name, we spoke to the people. In your name, we thought we heard from you and shared it with the people. Or it says, in your name, we drive out demons. Again, in your name, we do this amazing, kind of miraculous thing. And it says, and perform many miracles. Now, it's interesting because in the NIV here, uh, this is an NIV uh, passage up here, translation, it just says, in your name, twice. But actually, in the Greek, it's three times. Um, it's three times. And you see, it's kind of important because in Hebrew, uh, they didn't have the word very. So you weren't very tall. You were tall, tall, tall. All right? That's how they emphasize the point, by saying it numerous times, especially three. That was a signal of emphasis. And so here, in this passage, it's the same thing, where they're saying, in your name, in your name, in your name. The point being is, Jesus, we've done this under your authority. So what's happening here? Because Jesus says this next. He says, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What? Wait a minute. I don't understand what you're, what you're saying here, Jesus. Because these people look like spiritual rock stars. Right? Prophecy. Casting out demons. Miracles. The sort of stuff that really gets elevated in a lot of churches today. And yet Jesus is saying, away from me. I never knew you. What's happening here? Well, let's take a look at it some more here. Okay, first it is, I will tell them plainly. Now, in, in NIV, they're trying to help us kind of make sense of it, but also has this sense of like kind of making a pronouncement, like at the last day. Remember, we're at the last day here. And it's like, Jesus, like this is the final judgment. I will tell them plainly. And he says, I never knew you. Now, I'm kind of torn here because this could have some uh, scholars think this could be sort of like an ancient Near Eastern way or a, uh, an, an ancient Israel way of saying, I separate myself from you. And the, they say, think of Peter when he was denying Jesus. Three times he says, I don't know him. And finally, the last time he says, I never knew the man. And so it's a way of saying that I am not with him of disconnecting things with him. Did I miss something? Okay. Yeah, well, it sounded like our, our bell, but... Okay, if we hear it again, then we'll figure out what we need to do. I think maybe it's just an accident. False alarm. Okay, so in the ancient world, this might have been one way of saying Jesus separating himself from them. But I also can't help but wonder if maybe Jesus is also talking about a relationship with him. That maybe this is speaking to people who thought, you know, I'm doing the religious things. I go to church on Sunday. I give this much money. I pray these things. Uh, 
I think in certain types of uh, denominations, this is more, uh, this happens more regularly. I think of, of friends I know who are Catholic, and I don't mean to pick on Catholicism, but I have friends who are Catholic who say, I am Catholic, and everything's fine because I went to this Mass and that Mass, uh, and I did these things, so I know I'm good. I had my baptism, my first uh, communion, and my confirmation, so I know everything is okay. Um, now, that's not to say those things can't be good, but I'm saying there are people who kind of go through the religious motions thinking that that is what is Jesus is asking for here. And I hear him saying, I never knew you. He's also desiring a real relationship with us. Then there's this last part here where he says, evildoers. Now, in, the, in Greek, it's actually those, um, you anti-law or you lawbreakers. And he's talking about the law of God, the Torah. And so here's more than just uh, evildoers. It's like people who are anti-law, people who are going against the law, against the Torah. So I'm wondering, you know, what, how do we make sense of this? So I think we have a few clues. First, it begins at the beginning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he or she who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There is this connection between saying, Lord, Lord, between professing faith and living faith. Between professing faith and living faithfully. I think Jesus is talking with people here who are professing faith, maybe even sort of meaning it, but not faithfully living it. And then Jesus says this, he says, I never knew you. Again, getting at the relationship part, that maybe these people were going through the religious motions, thinking I've checked the religious box, and thinking that was all Jesus was wanting. But he actually wants a heart change in us, a new way of life, a new way of living, based on what he's taught here in his word, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. I was thinking about this. I was talking with a friend of mine, uh, who was uh, talking with uh, someone, and maybe some of you have had similar conversations in our community, of people who believe lots of different things, uh, lots of different, sort of a bit of this religion, a bit of this religion, a bit of that, a little bit of like this idea and this ideology kind of mixes them all together. And, you know, people would say like, oh yeah, like I, I talk with Jesus all the time. And one of my friends was saying, you know, like, uh, God the Father and Jesus my brother and the Holy Spirit my mother, and I talk with all of them. And yet, and so this kind of thought maybe that, that they are right with what Jesus is talking about, but not really living Jesus' way. And this is what Jesus is saying. It's not enough to just say that you believe or that you have conversations or whatever that might be, but actually you live the faith, that you live the way Jesus is teaching us. I was thinking about <clears throat> maybe a modern-day example of somebody who looks like they've, they're doing it all right and yet something is wrong. <clears throat> I was thinking about uh, modern-day um, preachers on TV. And, you know, I don't, I want to be really careful here because I don't know any of them personally. And so I'm not speaking about anyone specifically. Uh, but I just, this sense, like, in some of the his stuff that's come out over the last couple decades of people, some of these uh, pastors of these TV ministries where they are, like, millions and, or thousands and thousands of people and yet you hear about the things that are going wrong. And that's difficult because it looks on the outside, you know, in one sense, it looks like things are going really well. I mean, thousands of people are following and learning from them. People are being baptized. 
there's you know a report about miracles, about people being healed, people with cancer being healed, people with back problems being healed, uh, all these amazing things that sound like they're happening. Um, so you watch these things and you start thinking, okay, so maybe like there's something to it. Um, and then you start hearing about the other parts, the shadow side, the story of multiple mansions all over North America or the world, or multiple private jets, or um, embezzling money, or all these things, this manipulation that comes in their ministry. And you start thinking, you know, I wonder if these are people who look like, and they're even speaking in Jesus' name, who do some pretty amazing things, and yet they aren't actually following to Jesus. They aren't actually faithful to him. I think this is probably the closest example I could think of or, or a poignant one of people who maybe on the outside look like they've got it all right or they're doing really well or actually spiritual superstars and yet they aren't actually faithful to Jesus. And I got to thinking about this some this week, which is encouraging for me and maybe hopefully some of you as well, is that, that more than miracles, Jesus wants faithfulness. I think God delights in doing miraculous things and healing people in um, casting out demons, in uh, words of prophecy or prophetic words. But I also think from what he's saying right here, even more than all that, he values his followers or disciples who just faithfully live the way he teaches us to live. Start thinking about a life that's lived faithfully. That's the miraculous thing in our day and age. I think about, to me, that's, pretty amazing that this is great news that if we will faithfully follow Jesus that's actually what he desires and that's not to discourage anybody to use uh, spiritual gifts that God has given you or to celebrate when God heals one of us I, I still praise God when some of them comes even one of you come to me and say like I was praying or someone prayed for me and I am healed now I praise God for that I think God delights in that but I think he delights in faithfulness more when we faithfully follow him, we do what he has taught us. And it's interesting because he says, when you follow these words of mine, and he's actually, I can't help but think he's actually speaking specifically about the Sermon on the Mount. And it gets me thinking about some different ways that people have approached it. Um, I think we'll get to this in just a sec, but that God is calling us to follow his way, especially what he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a bit scary, though, uh, because the people here in this passage, here, they assumed that they were in with Jesus. Now, we can only guess at what they were really thinking, what their motives were, or how they really thought about him. But without Jesus' words, uh, I would have assumed that their fruit was evidence of their faithfulness. Without Jesus, without the things that he says here, like, I never knew you, I would have guessed that people who were doing these miraculous things, that they we're pretty faithful. But Jesus is saying it's, it's not so. And it reveals to us that God is not just after the amazing things we can do. He's after a heart, uh, a disciple who truly follows him, who is faithful with their life. All right. So this is Jesus' main point, that more than just profess our faith in Jesus, we would do God's will. Apparently, you can look the part, miracles and all, and still not be in God's kingdom, still not be actually obeying Jesus. It's refreshing to know that in the Sermon on the Mount, nowhere does it call us, if we're going to be faithful, that we have to do miraculous things in the sense of prophecies and miracles and, and demon exorcisms. 
but actually we have to do miraculous things in the sense of loving our wives and wives loving our husbands, being faithful in uh, not murdering, not even being angry with one another. About when we do amazing things, generous things, that we do it quietly without a lot of fanfare, that we pray regularly, that we fast, and that we give generously to others. But these are the sort of miraculous things that Jesus desires from us. Okay, so Jesus has uh, hit us with this main point. Now he's going to illustrate it. And so he says this story. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man or a woman who built their house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. I want to underline this part here on the rock. The whole point of this story, of this uh, metaphor of a house being built on rock, the whole point is that we would build our house on rock, and we build our house on rock by following what Jesus says, by hearing what he says and putting it into practice. That's how you build a house on rock. And I was thinking about this too, about this. He's talking not only about his teaching throughout the Gospels, not only that, but throughout the New Testament, but specifically in the Sermon on the Mount. And I alluded to this just a minute ago, that there have been different interpretations of how you understand the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, 500 years ago, it was really popular to think among uh, Protestant, um, like Lutherans and Calvinists, that that the Sermon on the Mount wasn't actually something you did. It was just really hard. The bar was set really high to show us how deeply sinful we are and how much we needed grace. Not that you'd actually try and live this. Uh, and even before that, the Sermon on the Mount was often uh, looked at as not for common people, but for the super spiritual, uh, whether they were priests or monks or nuns. Um, more recently, the last couple hundred years, the Sermon on the Mount has sometimes been dismissed as just old-fashioned teaching that's good for some theories or some, some philosophies on life, but we don't actually do it or wouldn't actually do it anymore. I've heard some too say that the Sermon on the Mount is actually a kingdom ethic. It's a future ethic. And because we live in the age of the church, that we don't actually do this yet. We will do this someday when we are in the church, but we wouldn't try to do it now. I don't think any of those are actually right. I think actually the way we're supposed to interpret it is like the early church did. The first Christians, the first few generations after Jesus, they took his teaching as that, teaching on how we should live. Now, granted, it is 2,000 years later, and there are some things that we have to interpret into our time, but I think we're meant to live the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so Jesus says this. If this is how we build uh, a life that lasts on stone, on the stone foundation, is if we put into practice what he teaches. Okay? This is how we build on the rock. Then he comes at it from the other side. He says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, so this is the exact opposite, is like a foolish person who's built their house on the sand. Look at this house, just destroyed. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. The wording is almost the same, uh, except for they do not put it into practice. And then it says this. It says, and it fell with a great crash, saying that if we do not put uh, Jesus' words into practice, we're like building a house on sand, it all comes crashing down. When the troubles, the storms of life come, we won't stand. So Jesus is warning us against lip service, against saying we believe and then not actually living it. 
I know people who claim, like I said, people who claim uh, that, you know, I prayed the prayer. 20 years ago, I checked that box, got my salvation insurance, I'm done. That's not, that was never Jesus' intent. His intent that we would begin believing in him on one day and we would follow him the rest of the days of our life. These last two verses here, Jesus, uh, we get the sense of the gravity of this moment. It says here, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed, uh, no doubt, I think, first of all, because of his teaching. These teachings from Jesus, this Sermon on the Mount has, hundreds of books have been written just about the Sermon on the Mount. And this teaching has withstood the test of time, thousands of years, 2,000 of years, actually, of people following this word and still drawing from his teaching. But Jesus is more than just a great teacher with some really great ideas. It's also, uh, they said, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Jesus had authority, first of all, because he was the Messiah, the Savior, the Mashiach. Jesus is the Savior that the people of God had been waiting for. For hundreds of years, they had been waiting for God's Savior to come, and Jesus is him. So this teaching is in one way, the, the word that the Messiah, the Savior, would come saying, this is how you live in light of this new kingdom. Not only that, not only is Jesus the Savior, the Messiah, he's also the Son of God. So he's more than just a really great guy, a really powerful teacher or Savior. He's actually God in the flesh, God with us. To the point where Jesus has the authority, he can say, you have heard Torah say to you, but I, I say this. So example, you have heard Torah say, you shall not kill, but I say to you, don't even get angry with one another. That Jesus has that authority because he is the Son of God to intensify God's word, to help us understand it more rightly. Talking with authority, talking like the Son of God. The whole point of this passage is calling us to faith and faithfulness, that we would live our faith, that we would believe, I hope all of us, that we've, for every one of us, that we would believe who he is and then live faithfully in light of that, of that faith. Not only that, but we'd have our heart into it as well. That this isn't just going through religious motions, but actually a real relationship with Jesus. Jesus wants us to be hearers, hearers of his word, that we hear it, that we read it, that we hear, uh, come on Sunday, hear me talk about it, gather on um, small groups to hear one another talk about it, that we would hear his words and that we would then do it, that we would live his way. Because it's interesting, this is the idea, this is true belief. When you really believe something, you not only sort of mentally agree with it, you actually do it. That's real belief. The thought that you could believe something and act differently has a different name. It's called hypocrisy. To say you believe one thing and live differently, it's called hypocrisy. Not belief, not faith. So for this week, you know, there's lots of information here, lots of stuff. Um, I want us to focus on these two ideas. One is faith, that Jesus is calling us to faith in him, to realize who he is and believe, believe, and then faithfulness, to begin following him that we would live our lives his way, the way especially that he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. And so I wanted us to take this, this week to do some kind of searching, to do some praying. Lord, uh, one, you know, what's my faith in you? And two, how am I living faithfully? To hear from God. Maybe there's places in our lives where, you know, our faith and our faithfulness aren't quite matching up. And that we would courageously ask God to begin working on us. 
Now, some of you might be thinking, you know, Jason, I can already think about what God or what the Holy Spirit might say, and I've been wrestling with this for a long time, and I realize there are some deep things. Uh, in the Christian tradition, we call them besetting sins, <laughs> things that stick with us no matter how hard we try to work through them. I want to help you. You know, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to raise your hand or anything. You can just uh, text me or call me and say, Jason, I've got this. This is what God has been working on me. Can I meet with you and talk about how we handle this? Because God wants us to be more than just professors of faith. He wants us to be faithfully following him. Jesus calls us to this humble and obedient and narrow little way. And he's going to help us do it but he wants us to live this faith. And I start thinking about how delighted God is in you already and how delighted he will be as we take this next step. As we come to him asking God, show me the places where I'm not living faithfully. Or Lord, give me the strength to live faithfully this next week. I believe God will delight in this. I believe he will delight in this church and that he will continue to use us to do amazing things in our community. This is important stuff, that we have this faith in Jesus and that we follow him faithfully. Amen.